Well, good morning. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, being verses 8 through 13. Hope you're enjoying. Man, it's beautiful outside. Even if you don't like driving in the snow, I hope you at least enjoy looking at it. Man, it's so pretty. Mary saw me thinking of that song, Though Our Sins Be As Scarlet, You Shall Make Them White As Snow, or Red Like Crimson. So I hope these remind you, the seeing the snow reminds you of the truth that Jesus can remove our sins. Over 200 years ago, a small Virginian school named Liberty Hall Academy ran into a problem, a money problem. The school had moved a number of times and was at the end of the rope, and a fellow stepped in to save the day financially by gifting the small academy with 100 shares of the James River Canal Company. Everybody ever been to the James River Canal down in Richmond? You can walk it. It's like 18 feet long. Right next to beautiful. Um, you're underneath three bridges, and there's a pizza place there. It's top notch. you got to go. But James River Canal. So they gave him 100 shares of James River Canal, and the canal was going to go across the United States. It didn't. I don't know if you knew that. And it ended up becoming part of the railroad company. Well, so did the shares. And those shares are still paying dividends today. And if you recall, the person that gave those shares was a fellow, I don't know if you've heard of him, his name's George Washington. And Liberty Hall Academy promptly changed her name to Washington Academy and the Washington College, and now we know it as Washington and Lee. And if you go on their website, you see those shares are still paying dividends today. Something nice about having stock when your country is first formed <laughs> is that seems to pay out well a couple hundred years later. I mean, today's value of those, sh- of those stocks, those shares given, are over 425000 at that time. Crazy amount of money in 1796. How awesome do, is it to think that something done over 200 years ago can still pay dividends today? In fact, can you imagine how different your life would have been if old Georgie would have decided to not take a left turn and decided to go right and comes up to the farm and sees one of your ancestors like, you know what? I'm going to give these to you. Then all of a sudden your family has a George Washington endowment and you're in school or college and friends are like, man, your parents paying for school? No, George Washington is. What are you talking about? Yeah. Crazy. Before the 1800s, 1796, he came up my family's farm and gave our ancestors all this stock. Can you imagine how crazy that would be? That you're f- just like, I mean, we're living the dream. Because old George, who wouldn't he? And look where we're at now. As amazing as that is, it highlights a truth that we'll see in our text today that we've been given something better than 20,000 shares in James River Canal. And what we've been given in the person of Jesus still pays dividends today. And it's all one by his victory over the grave. The resurrection of Christ is this thing that he's given to the world, the gift of God, that salvation comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it pays dividends beyond anything George Washington could have given Liberty Hall Academy back in 1796. So today we'll recall the resurrection of Christ. How it pays a better result, we'll see the resurrection of Christ was impacting people's time, even in Paul's time. It's changing lives in our day and will continue to work until he returns and will continue to work from here on up through eternity future. Today we will see that remembering Christ's victorious past 
And his boundless word empowers our present and carries us with hope to the future. So first, let's look at remembering Christ's victorious passion. 2 Timothy 2, verse number 8. Let me read to you verses 2, 8 through 13. Remember, <coughs> Paul's speaking to Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, he will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remembering Christ's victorious past, he tells him in 2.8, remember Jesus Christ. Thus far in the letter, Paul's talking to Timothy about impending suffering. And he'll talk about his own suffering here in this text. Last week we saw that for Timothy to endure suffering as a good soldier, he's going to have to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now Paul's going to give him another tool in his bag to help him endure the trials and tribulations of this life. What is it? Remembering Jesus Christ's victorious past. Remembering Jesus. In this verse, verse number 8, many believe to be a creedal statement. It's a statement that they would confess time and time again when they gathered together as God's people. They would just recite, like we recite Scripture today, they would recite this truth. Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. These truths. And there's so much, and I'm not, not, not joking here, I'm not trying to overstate this. There's so much packed in these two phrases, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. I'm going to try to condense this down to one sermon where we could go to 20. Do you think through this phrase, risen from the dead, the resurrection of Christ, and where this sees itself playing throughout all of Scripture, how long could we be there? Or that he is the offspring of David. How long could we be there? But it's just packed. First, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. He is risen from the dead. All God's people said, Amen. On Easter, I don't know if you've ever been to church where they start off, He is risen, and then you reply, He is risen indeed. Why do we meet on Sunday? Why is this called the Lord's Day? Why don't we meet on the Sabbath? The only of the Ten Commandments not to be restated anew. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why don't we meet on Saturday? When did Jesus rise from the dead? Sunday. Every Sunday is Easter. Every Sunday. And we come and proclaim, He is risen indeed. Why are you here? He is risen from the dead. He is the eternal God, the sinless, perfect man, born of a virgin, fulfilled hundreds of prophecies, died for our sins, and yet all of it boils down to the fact, the crucible, the crux of all the arguments, he rose from the dead. If Jesus had lived from eternity past, was born of a virgin, died for our sins, and remained in the grave. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this, is a, this then is all we have, and we are of all men most miserable, most to be pitied. If Jesus is still dead, if he is like Muhammad, or another prophet like Joseph Smith, and he's still dead, we are of all men most miserable. But he rose from the dead. 
He rose from the dead. This means that our best life is not now. So your friends and your college classmates can hashtag live their best life now, and you're like, you're missing it. This is the worst we have it. The best life is yet to come. Our life is but a vapor. It's a moment, and we're going to have eternity with our Savior. That is the best that we have coming. If Jesus remained dead, every Christian family member, every Christian friend, every early church father, if Jesus didn't remain from the didn't rise from the dead, then they are dead in their grave, and they will only amount to dust. But he is risen. By rising from the dead, Jesus defeated not only death, but he defeated sin. He defeated hell. He provided a way for you and I to be saved. He had to rise from the dead. And not just for us, but also for himself. In Romans 1.4, listen to this from Romans 1.4, Paul writing this as well. So that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness. How? How is Jesus declared to be the Son of God? By the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. How do we know he is fully God? Because he rose from the dead. How do we know he's God's Son? Because he rose from the dead. How do we know he has power? Because he rose from the dead. Amen. And amen and amen. If Jesus did not rise, you are wasting your time. You should turn. If you do not believe that he is risen, leave, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You might as well live for yourself. But he is risen. He is risen. It is true. He died. It is true. He was buried. It is true. He rose. It is true. Through his victorious resurrection, Jesus triumphed over sin, death, and hell. Friend, I have to ask, do you know this Savior? Do you know the one that has died for your sins and mine, that gives you and I power over the grave, that gives you and I power today over sin, that keeps us from the flames of hell that we justly deserve? But beyond what he keeps us from and what he forgives us from is what he gives us in himself. We have the good, sweet Savior with his arms open wide. Come unto me, all that you're weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. We have rest in the Savior. We have hope in the Savior. We have promises in the Savior. promise never to leave you, never to forsake you. Beyond what he saves us from is what he saves us to himself. And he promises a relationship with me. Instead of once a year, one person being able to walk into the presence of God with trepidation, with bells on, with a rope tied to him in case they were dropped dead for their sin. Now we all have access to the Father. Not just access. Just free reign to the throne. So we come boldly to the throne of grace that we, were, that we may receive mercy in time of need because Jesus rose from the dead. All of this is possible. The way has been made. Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember him. Risen from the dead. It also shows that he is fully God. I don't know how many people you know personally. 
that after they have died have decided, you know what? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back up again. If you've ever been to one of those funerals, it would have been memorable. I think Ray Stevens has a song about that, about a wake. The guy sat back up. Old school. You don't, this doesn't happen. Jesus rose from the dead, shows that he is God. He's declared to be the Son of God, Romans 1, 4 says, by him rising from the dead. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. Jesus, though, fully God, added to himself. He did not change his nature, but added to himself humanity. He was, as it were, clothed in human form by being born of a virgin. And not just any virgin, right? Her name was Mary. What's so significant about Mary other than she just lived a faithful life? Well, there's something very significant about Mary is that she, she came from this, this line, this descendant of King David. And she having a son makes Jesus the offspring of David. Jesus wasn't just born to any person in any town at any time. He was born to a virgin in the direct descent of King David in his very hometown, Bethlehem. Why is that significant? Well, first it shows that Jesus was fully God. He has the power over death and via his resurrection. And he is fully man. He is the offspring of David. And as the offspring of David, he is the coming king, the Messiah. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve blew it. They messed it all up. Way to go. And you would have done it too, and so would have I. We would have messed it all up. Right? How long do you go today? How long do have you, did you go before you had an interior thought or did something wrong? How, how long did you last? The moment your alarm clock went off, do you wake up with the joy of the Lord as your strength, and strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus? God bless you. Pray for us, <laughs> heathens, that we will do the same. We would have blown it. But in the grace of our Savior, in Genesis 3.15, he promises that through the seed of the woman, the serpent's head, Satan's head, would be crushed in sin and death and hell would be destroyed. Later on in Genesis, you're going to read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob who were promised that through their line, the seed of the woman would come. And through them, and through the seed, all of the nations would be blessed. You get, keep going through Genesis, you get to Genesis 49. As we walk through this in early December, if you were here, you recall that Genesis 49 speaks of, it's not just going to be from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but now we're narrowing down out of the 12 tribes, it's going to come from what tribe? The tribe of Judah. And from Judah, the king, the scepter, will never depart. He will have a kingdom that will never end. Even Balaam in Numbers testifies to this. The scepter will never depart from this kingly line of Judah. The offspring's coming. The Messiah, the Savior of the world, will come. Want to guess what tribe David is from? Judah. We need an offspring from David. Well, Isaiah gives a little more filling, as we recall from our study last year. In Isaiah 7, we realize this offspring promised to Eve will come not just through the Israelite tribe of Judah, not just through the line of David, but also will be born of a virgin, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
few chapters later in Isaiah chapter 9, we find out this, this Messiah, born of a virgin, God with us, will be called, even as a child, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and upon Him, upon His shoulders, all governments will rest, and He will have this kingdom that will reign forever and ever and ever. But by the time it gets to chapter 52 and 53, you realize he will also have to die. He will bear our suffering. He will be beaten and bruised beyond recognition. But he will rise. And that gets us to the New Testament, where we find out that all this becomes true in Jesus Christ. He has fulfilled numerous prophecies. He is fully God, and He is fully man. He is God with us. He did bear our sins. But He did not remain in the grave. He rose from the dead. That's why Paul says, this is my gospel. Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. What other good news would you share? This is why Paul's been saying at the end of our eight, this is what I've been proclaiming all along. George Washington's gift kept the school alive and keeps paying dividends today. Jesus' gift is far better. He makes people alive and will continue to do so until he returns and he will keep them for all eternity future. The victorious resurrection of Christ gives life to those that are dead. The victorious resurrection of Christ gives light to those in darkness. The victorious resurrection of Christ gives hope to those in despair. And the victorious resurrection of Christ makes saints out of sinners. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen and praise Jesus. Yes, and remember Him. Because remembering His victorious work will guide you today. And the gloom the twists and turns and trials and tribulations of this world, remembering Jesus Christ and His victorious work in the resurrection will guide us today. So remembering Christ's victorious work, past, and also remember His boundless word empowers our present, carries us with hope to our future. Look at this boundless word in verse, verse number 9. Paul says, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Paul's explained to Timothy, couple times through this letter that he's been suffering. He's bound in chains. We will find out at the end that he's finishing his course. He's at the end. Seeing some of these athletes in the, in the Olympics, I don't know if you've been watching, but uh, when they're doing this cross country, and they're sometimes these athletes cross, they're, my wife and I are watching this ladies one, they're crossing, they're, they're trying to get there, and they cross the line, and they just collapse. I mean, Olympic athletes, they get past the line, they keep collapsing. They're just like laying on the ground, and they're chest going up and I'm like, <laughs> they're trying to breathe. And I look at my wife, I'm like, who wants to do this? <laughs> These people have trained to do this their entire life. And it's like, they're fainting at the end. Who wants to do this thing? Paul's at the end. He's got 50 meters left. And that's it. He's been struggling, he's suffering, he's lonely, he's by himself. He's fought the good fight, but he's done so preaching this good news of Jesus risen from the dead, the offspring of David. He calls himself a criminal in this section, verse number 9. He says, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, 
that word is only used in one other instance in Luke tw- chapter 23 to, to describe the two people on either side of Jesus Christ, the two thieves, the two criminals on the cross. Paul says, that's how I'm being treated. As if I were the criminals on the cross, that I've done no wrong. I've only preached the good news of Jesus Christ. Timothy, I'm bound. I'm about to die. But the word of God is not. You cannot put chains on the gospel. You cannot confine the gospel. It grows and will continue to grow. And God promised it when Jesus promised the disciples, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church and what I'm doing. Word of God cannot be bound and chained by man. History has shown this to be true. Every time people have tried to squelch the gospel, even through persecution and through killing Christians, what has happened? The more they try to stamp them out, the more the flame blazes. That may be, Christians, why Christianity is not on the rise here in America. Because we're not facing the torments our brothers and sisters are facing as was prayed for today. We may need a fire. It may take that in America, and it may come. Where our freedoms may go away, and it may be for the betterment of the kingdom. Do I want my freedoms to go away? No. Do I want persecution? Absolutely not. Does anybody want to suffer? We, we're, are we masochistic people? No. But it may take suffering and punishment for us to wake up and realize we're not to live for our 401k or the American dream. Our neighbors, our friends, our family, our coworkers are dying and going to hell. And we have the glorious news of the gospel. Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. And yet we remain silent. Endure the trials and tribulations that may come your way. From without or from within, knowing and remembering our victorious Savior and His boundless work. We do not save people. God's Word and His Spirit will. Thankfully, both of those will never be bound by man. So we share it. Share it. Knowing we are using an infinitely powerful weapon. His word and his spirit will do their work to remember Christ's victorious power. Remember his boundless word as it empowers our present and carries us with hope to our future. You see, it's in our very next point here. It empowers our present. Therefore, I endure, verse number 10, everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. At this time, Paul is writing in the present tense. He's presently suffering. And why suffer for others? Why did Jesus suffer for others? God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He suffered and died for you and I. Paul says, I'm willing to do the same. If it means my life, it means my life. But I want to see others come to know this Savior. He suffers, he says, for the sake of the elect. 
You grab a Strong's Concordance, this word means selected, favored, or chosen. The group is selected, favored, or chosen by God. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For those that grew up perhaps in the same circles I did, where you kind of choke when you read that word, just relax, relax, you'll be all right. Take a deep breath, and then wrap up in it like a warm blanket. If you claim to know Jesus as your Savior, then you have been chosen by God. You are, as this text says, you're one of the elect. Spurgeon was asked, well, why do we share the gospel if God elects? He said, well, if the Lord would have put a yellow stripe down every elect back, I'd run around London pulling up everybody's shirt tails. But he didn't, so I share the gospel. Preach to everybody. How does this work with decisions? And how does this Do you know? Say yes so I can then argue about your pride. You don't know. I don't know. But it's true. It's in here. It just means more grace. It means it's not deserved. If you can understand that, embrace it. Embrace it like a warm blanket. We love him. Why? Why do we love him? He first loved us. Who first? He first. What did Jesus tell his disciples? You did not choose me. I have elect chosen you. Christian, do you honestly believe that when we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we would have chosen Jesus first and loved him first without his love coming to us? Come on. God is a great initiator of this world. He breathed life into this planet, life into the nostrils of man, and he does the same spiritually. We praise him for it, for his saving work. So do not get distracted by the thought and don't let this trip you up. Just rejoice, rejoice over what God has done, what he has done for you and I, but what he will continue to do because Paul says in this text, I endure for the past, present, and future what will come that they, the elect, their people that have not yet been saved, that they may also obtain. There are people that have not yet trusted Christ that will come. If it means my life so that they can hear the gospel, I would die for them. That they may know the glories that are in Christ Jesus. They also. He wants others to know. But how shall they hear without a preacher? Christians, you can't just wish for your friends to be saved. You should pray for them. You have to eventually tell them. When Jesus sent out the 70, he didn't ask them to go out and mime the gospel. Can you imagine them going out with black and white striped shirts, little French hat, and go out and mime the gospel for them? Don't use your words. Just show them by the way you're living. Mime it for them. Does that sound ridiculous to you? And yet, what's the excuse? Many of us don't share the gospel. I just want people just to see who I am. I'm going to mime it for them, but I'll never tell them. How shall they hear? How shall they hear? Eventually the time comes, Christian, that we have to open our yaps and proclaim Jesus risen from the dead 
the offspring of David. He is fully God. He is fully man. He died for our sins. He rose from the grave. He can be yours today. One pastor said this, because Jesus rose from the dead, never forget the gospel. Never stop preaching the gospel. And never lose sight that eternal destinies hang in the balance. You have a friend that you love to see them obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus with eternal glory? Then pray for them. Pray for an opportunity to witness to them. And then go share. Nervous about that? Nervous about what they'll say or how they'll respond? Remember Jesus Christ and His victorious past. Remember His boundless word because it empowers our present. And it carries us to hope in our future. Look at our very next point here. It carries us to hope for our future. Verse 11, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we also live with Him. If we endure, we also reign with Him. If we deny Him... He will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. In these three verses, we have two negatives and two positives. But it starts with this saying is trustworthy. If you remember from our study in 1 Timothy, that this saying is trustworthy was used three times in that book. It's here used a fourth time, Paul speaking to Timothy. This saying is trustworthy. And what is trustworthy, Paul? It's what these next four things are, these two positives and two negatives. These things are trustworthy. What is trustworthy? First, the two positives. Both of them have a reversal in them. If we have died with him, what happens if we die with Jesus? We live. If we die, we live. So how do I die with Jesus? If you know Christ as your Savior, you've already done that, but Romans 6, 4 through 8, you can write that text down if you're quick at flipping your, in your text. You can look over at Romans 6, 4 through 8. I'll read through that. If not, you can stay where you're at, and I'll read it slow. Romans 6, 4, we were buried, therefore, with him. We were, past tense, buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised, resurrected from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We've been united with Jesus in his death. And that means we'll also be united with Jesus in his life because he rose from the dead. When we place our faith and trust in Christ, we become unified with him in death and life. We, when we do a baptism here, we picture this, don't we? Buried with him in his death, they go under the water, raised to walk to newness of life. Baptism does not save you. We're just picturing to everybody else. This is what Jesus has done for me. He rose from the dead. And he allows me now to have victory over sin, death, and hell. Because I'm buried with him in his death and been raised to walk in newness of life. So if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, you've died with Christ. You've been given newness of life. You will live with him. This is the hope we have now, and the best is yet to come. The next positive, verse 12, if we endure, what's Timothy, Paul been telling Timothy to do? Endure suffering. Endure the trials and tribulations of this world. Endure them as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If we endure, Timothy, if we endure, Christian, we will also reign with him. Endure. If you endure now, you reign with him. After we pass from this life to the next, we will reign with Christ 
forevermore and forevermore and forevermore. The best is yet to come. So hold on. Finish strong. Endure. Because this life is just a moment to vapor, to whiff, to vanishes and disappears. But Jesus rose from the dead. And if you know him, you will too. We'll be united with him. We'll live with him forever. We will rule and reign with him. But there are also two negative statements. What if I don't accept Jesus? What if I deny him? What if I refuse to place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Matthew 10, 33, Jesus says, Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Deny the Son, He will deny you. I don't say that with joy, but it's true. If you reject the Son, I want no part of you. You say, okay. Then when I say in front of my Father, I say the same thing. I want no part of you. They want no part of us. There's no middle ground between death and life where we can kind of float around and, and maybe in time work off over eons of years after death and this kind of middle ground. No. You embrace him, kiss the sun, lest he be angry. Embrace him. Do not deny or reject him. What if this faith thing is too much and I can only believe in the things that I see. I, I can't put my faith in Jesus. If we are faithless, verse 13, he is faithful for he cannot deny himself. If you're faithless, if you do not place your faith and trust in Christ, you're in an awful spot. And let me clarify. When it says that he is faithful, that does not mean we're speaking of a Christian here. Both of these references are to the negative, people that have not placed their faith and trust in Christ. So if we are faithless, we choose to not place our faith in Jesus, he will still faithfully keep his word because he cannot deny himself. God cannot lie. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. If you do not come in faith, you do not come at all. If an unbeliever refuses to place their faith in Christ, God will remain faithful to himself, his character, and his word. One author said this, faithfulness on his part means carrying out his threats as well as his promises. So he will deny us. Indeed, if he did not deny us in faithfulness to his plain warnings, he would then deny himself. But one thing is certain about God. Beyond any doubt or uncertainty, whatever, that he cannot deny himself. Christian, we've been given hope to be not only forgiven, but to enjoy a loving relationship with our Savior for eternity. We will live, we will reign with Him. Yet our neighbors, our friends, our classmates, our co-workers that have denied and, and have thus far refused to place their faith in Jesus will suffer for all eternity. You cannot save them, 
but you can tell them the good news that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He is the Messiah, the offspring of David that came for them, for you and for I. Remembering Christ's victorious past and his boundless word, it empowers our present and carries us with hope to our future. So what does this all mean for us today and what can we apply to our lives? First, friends, I asked earlier and I'll ask again, have you ever experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ? I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how many sermons you've heard. Is there ever a point in time where you place your faith in Christ? Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will you come? Will you come? Give your life to the Savior. Do not deny Him. Do not reject Him. Come to him today. If you have questions on how you can do that, if you're, if you're still confused, see a Christian friend you came with, see myself or another Christian here in our church we'd love to share this good news with you. If you're here and you claim to be a Christian, let me ask you, do you have a, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, a classmate that you know does not know Jesus? Paul says he endures for the sake, anything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that's in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, do you believe, do you believe that God could use you to lead this person to faith and trust in Christ? Do you believe God could use you? Do you believe that God still saves? Do you believe that He can forgive any sin? Do you believe that God can use anyone to share His good news Because his word is boundless. His forgiveness is amazing. It's gracious. Then by the strength that is in Christ Jesus, go share this good news. Weeks ago, I shared a statement with you that said, no one has received and known the love of Christ can be content to come to him alone. How have you experienced the grace of Jesus and thought to yourself or myself, I don't want anybody else to know this truth. I'm keeping this for myself. If you've known the love and grace of God, how can you be content to come to Him alone? So as I read earlier, because Jesus rose from the dead, never forget the gospel, never stop preaching the gospel, and never lose sight that eternal destinies hang in the balance. Christian, do you believe God can use you to share the good news of Jesus Christ and see people go from death to life? Then by God's grace and strength, go. Let me ask you another question. What's the best way for you to remember Jesus in his victorious past on a daily basis? What do you need to do to help yourself remember? We, we all, as one of my old professors used to say, we all have Teflon minds. Nothing sticks. So how do you help yourself remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David? How would you help yourself do that on a regular daily basis? What could you do? 
when we went through our series on those five marks over this last summer, you know, so I have some that questions that pop up now every day that remind myself, I have my phone do it for me. Our smart smartphones have made us dumber than ever, but <laughs> it's like trying to help me remember. I'm, just, I'm trying to do something. You know, what, do you, what do you have to do? You have to write it on a postcard, put it on, put it on your car, over your speed speedometer. So every time you get in the car, you read it. You got to put it on the mirror. You need to have Alexa remind you when you wake up in the morning. Do something. But remember Jesus and his victorious path. So think through ways. Be, be creative. Lord, help me because I'm trying to help this old sinful self who continues to go astray. I want to remind myself on a daily basis who you are and what you've done. You are the victorious Christ. You've risen from the dead. You are the Messiah, the offspring of David. Help me to remember that. Do what you can. In verse 8, we saw Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior, the King, the promised seed that will crush the serpent's head. He's one that's promised to bless all nations. He's born of the virgin. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's this and more. So last question. What's your response to this gospel? How could you, how should you praise him today? We're going to sing at the end, right? I'm torn so many banks. I'm trying to remember what they're doing. We're going to sing at the end. I am bound, I am bound, I am bound for the promised land. <laughs> Woo! We're going to be there. Because he is risen. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. So we get to live this life. And all that it comes, just in the grace of God, knowing this is the worst we will ever have it. Because I am bound for that promised land, not just this land flowing with milk and honey, but a place where my Savior will live and reign and I will bask in His glory. I have to find sunglasses just to see Him walk by. That is our hope. Christian, remember our victorious Christ. Let's bow for prayer. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for being the risen Christ, the offspring of David. Lord, would you help anyone here or maybe listening online or whoever, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, would you help them today to come to know you as Lord and King? Would you help us as Christians to not be content with the grace and mercy we've been given, to keep it to ourselves alone, but to, Lord, go share these truths with others. Lord, by your grace, all of your children are bound to the promised land. We thank you for this, our risen Christ. We thank you for this, the Messiah, the offspring of David.